But today, we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in for quite some time uh, based on Ecclesiastes. We've called it Chasing. The whole idea of the book of Ecclesiastes is that I believe Solomon's the one who wrote it, and he's talking about his sort of experiment in life to chase after things to see if they can give him everything he thinks that it will give him. And so we've been looking at that, and really, it's, it's been interesting for me to study this book and to look at our culture and say, really, much of our society is kind of a mini Solomon society. I mean, we don't have the extravagant wealth in the palace that he had, but we have pretty much everything we need. You can get wisdom at any point in life pretty much instantly. We were, we were in the mountains the other day and my kids found a snake and they were like, dad, can I touch that snake? And I was like, hang on. Uh, it's a Northern brown snake. They are not venomous. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause we can just, we, we can gain access to information at any point. We have more than what we need for, for most of the things we have in life, but there's always something else we want. There's always a next. There's always another experience, another place to go, another thing to do. And this chase of a life keeps calling after us. And what Solomon is going to do is he's going to kind of he's going to kind of give us this ultimatum at the end of the book. He's going to say, "Look, you, you really have when we look at all of life, we survey all of it, you, you have kind of two choices here. One is you can accept life for what it is, accept the reality that it's never going to meet all of your satisfaction. It's never going to meet all your desires. You can accept it for the lot that it is, or you can keep chasing. You can keep running. He uses the phrase chasing after the wind. You can accept what life is, or you can keep chasing after it. It's, it if you take the chase, it, it's like looking for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and, and the rainbow, just, it just keeps moving. It keeps moving. You can't really get to, I remember as a kid thinking, well, oh yeah, the end of the rainbow thing. Let's, you can't. You can't get to the end of the rainbow. And what Solomon is saying is if you're chasing after this, things in this world, as if they're going to be the things that make you the happiest and most joyful and most satisfied, it's like chasing a rainbow. It's like chasing a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You get there and the gold disappears. And he uses this phrase throughout it called, called hevel. 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses that phrase to, to signify that life has this nature to it that it's like a vapor, a mist, that when you finally think you got it, it's quick to go away. And so what we've done is, is we really kind of say, look, the wise person then accepts life for what it is. It can only make me so happy, but I'm going to let it make me happy. I'm going to enjoy the things that God has blessed me with. If that's a friendship, if it's a family, if it's a good career, or, or if it's wealth, or, or whatever it is, these are all gifts that have a limited capacity to satisfy us that are given by a God who has an endless capacity to satisfy us. That we will look at life for what it is and what, and what it's not, but then also look at God for what he's able to do. So I want us to read the conclusion this morning. This is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes where the writers, he, he played the role of the teacher. Now he kind of steps back and he offers commentary on the whole book so we can kind of wrap it up and, and bring it all together. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are, are like goads. They're collected sayings that, that are firmly, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. 
Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Let's pray. Um, God, this, uh, this sermon series has a bit of kind of a reality check where we understand the capabilities of what life can give us and what it can't. And then in, in that sort of disappointment, when we look at wealth and wealth can't make us feel the way we want wealth, feel the way we want to, God, we, we look to you and understand that really what we long for is satisfied in a relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that that idea would move from our head to our heart that we would live that way, living and delighting in you. And we ask that you teach us this morning in your son's name, amen. So this last little commentary section, he's kind of, he's stepping back from playing the role of the teacher. And his question is really not so much about what the teacher says, but what about the student? What are you going to do with what the information that God has relayed to us in this book is? Are you gonna be the good student? I remember in, uh, in college, my senior year, I needed one credit uh, to graduate. I had a couple other classes, but there was, I needed one more class that was one credit to be able to, to fulfill all the requirements. And, and so I looked at all the one credit classes available and I asked myself, which is the easiest to get done? Because I, I, I'm, I'm ready to graduate here. I don't want to work hard. And so I looked down the list and, and the easiest one seemed to be coaching and wellness. I thought, well, this is no big deal. I've already coached track and field for a number of years. I've helped out. I already know how to do this. Okay, no big deal. I'll take the coaching and wellness class. And I show up for the first day, and apparently the professors did not get the memo that this was going to be an easy one-credit class. And they gave the syllabus to me, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, this is more work than most of my three-credit classes. I have to write articles on research. I have to join a forum with the rest of the class and, and write back and forth about everybody else's paper. I needed to do a research project. We had this big fake wellness test where we had to treat patients. And I'm like, this is insane. I wanted one credit. I'm not training to be a doctor. I don't need to be Bill Belichick here. I'm just going to coach a local t-ball team. And I, I got to the place where I was just, this is not worth the effort that it's demanding of me. So I was a bad student. I just got a passing grade in a one credit coaching and wellness class. The teacher says, what, what kind of effort are you going to put into this? This isn't wellness. This isn't coach. This is life. This is how you live. You only got one chance to go through this. And so let's do it as wisely as possible. Let's be students that that take this to heart and, and live it out. And so in light of all of what we talked about and in light of this passage, I just want to give us four pieces of everyday wisdom that I think will just dramatically allow you to enjoy life the way that God intends for it, but mostly for us to enjoy God the way that we're intended to. So let's start out with this one. Um, from the book overall, the fir first piece of everyday wisdom is that you would move, move out of owner mentality. Move out of owner mentality. The scriptures are calling us again and again to see our position next to God. Remember your creator, chapter 12 starts out with and goes over again and again and again. Fear God, keep his commandments. These are, these are repositioning statements that you understand where you are in, in terms of your relationship with God, that he's owner, 
He's in charge. He's in control. We're not. And that we would live with that sort of reality. And when he says fear, fear God and keep his commandments, we tend to think terror fear. We tend to think like something's about to hurt me or something's about to get me. Or, or we think guilt fear, like, like somebody has caught me red-handed. Or, or, or we think that I, I'm going to have to do something to please and, and make him happy. And there's a fear if I don't. When the scriptures talk about a fear of God, that's not the concept. The concept of one that, that's of honor, and it's really just kind of being wild, wild and impressed with God. In fact, an old school uh, quote that I stumbled upon that I thought summarized this well is from H.D.M. Spence who writes, he says, what God asks of us is a well-grounded, holy, which is this unique, set-apart, special reverence. The honor which weakness pays to power. The honor which weakness pays to power. That we understand our position next to God. We understand our limited capacity compared to his limitless and we look at that in such a way that I move out of sort of this owner mentality and into a follower mentality. I, I knew a guy who, uh, in the worst way, wanted to be self-employed. Good guy, hardworking guy, just, just never seemed to mesh with, with the boss and, and never seemed to do real well with the, with the authority of that. And so he just said, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. So he starts his own business, and it's, it's tree removal and tree trimming, and, and, uh, and then he begins to go down this path of the business, and he realizes that now that he's the owner of the business, he's got to take care of things that he didn't have to before. He's got to set up all the jobs. He's got to maintain all the equipment. He's got to make sure that he's doing all the things with the IRS and all the things with the insurance company. And he gets two or three years into this, and he realizes I don't really want to be the owner anymore. I'd rather go work for that guy and let him figure it all out. Let it be in his hands. Let him control it. And, and I'll just show up and do my thing and go home and enjoy my family. Why should I have this added stress upon my shoulders? What the book of Ecclesiastes really wrestles with us over is, is for us to understand the difference between our inability to control and God's being in control. And for us to move out of the owner mentality to say that this isn't all on my shoulders. I don't have to figure out how to do everything perfect in life. I don't have to have all my plans come together the way that I want them to. Because it's not my role. I am a creation. He is creator. And with that comes a freedom of not having to stress over every little thing which means that I can enjoy life as I experience it, not as I expect it. I can enjoy it as I experience it, as it just comes my way, not as I expect it, not as I demand it, not as I need it to be to make me happy and, and all these pieces need to fit in the right way. I can just experience it. Uh, as an elder board, we were talking about uh, this the other night where we're looking at transitions and, and how we're going to do things. And, and, and looking at the reality is our job is to discover what God has for us. Our job is to see how he's going to lead. I don't need to plan it all. It doesn't have to be on my shoulders all the time. My role is to understand he's creator and to live out discovering what he has for me in life. I don't have to live life as I expect it. I can live life as I experience it. And there's a real beauty in saying, I don't have to be in control. I trust that God is. 
This is what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? See, I, I think what happens is we forget that reality. And we put a stress upon ourselves where, where I need to take care of everything possible. I need to understand it. I need to be in charge of it. And Jesus would say, take a lesson from the birds. Look how they live. They're free because they understand that somebody is ultimately in charge of providing and protecting. And the idea is that we would get to live that way, that we would understand life within its actual context. Don't be the owner of your life. You don't have to be. It's a demand. It's, 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 a, it's a burden you don't have to carry. But we can trust that God is in control and look at it with a reverence where, the, where weakness pays homage to power. And we can enjoy a freedom of knowing that it's not about me being in control all the time. Second everyday piece of wisdom is really a response to that. If that's true, if God is owner and, and I, he's creator and I'm creation, what's my, what's my response to that? Well, he would call us to the reality that every one of us will stand before God in judgment one day. And so the second piece of wisdom is that a future judgment should lead to a current awareness. A future judgment should lead to a current awareness that I understand that one day I'm gonna stand before God. And so what I do right now, currently, presently, has influence on that moment. I like mini golf. I am way too competitive when it comes to mini golf. I am proud to beat my kids by like eight strokes. It's, it's not good. I've got a problem here, right? Uh, but we were mini golfing the other day and, and I got done. With, and, and you know the thing about, I got done and we, we, I won, okay? I, I just, I won. it was ugly, but I won. And that's the whole point of it, right? No. But I remember at the end thinking, you know, there's a way to guarantee that you're always the winner in mini golf. I figured it out. Like, there's a way that you're always going to be the winner. You know what it is? You hold the scorecard. Because <laughs> nobody remembers what you got for every hole. They, they barely remember what they got. So, you know what? I think that was like a two. Yeah. They say five. I'm going to make that a three. You just make it whatever you look. I just gave you a guaranteed mini golf win. And the only problem is if you play with somebody else in this room, you're going to have a problem. You're going to figure it out. But but you could just, you could just change the scorecard. Like, I, I honestly think this is kind of what we do with God. We just change the scorecard to match what we experience in life and what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And so we redefine morality to match our preferences and our desires. And Solomon says, you can't do that. You, you don't hold the scorecard here. This is for, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. If we recognize we're not the owner, the non-owner territory means we're responsible to the owner. We've got a responsibility to the one who, who sees what we do in life. And so in other words, what I do right now matters. It has lasting influence. It's how I love people is a big deal. God's gonna hold us accountable to that. He sees every good deed, good, or, and he sees every evil one. Have you ever had somebody get it wrong about you? Like they misjudged you? They thought you did something for a motivation you didn't? 
They thought you did it for the wrong reason, but in your heart, you know that it's the right reason. Man, it's good that God's the judge because he sees the heart. He sees, he sees the inward motivation of things. And so let's just kind of step back for a second because when we talk about judgment in the scriptures, there's, there's two judgments. One is just a, one that we'll call it a judgment of destiny where I either live with God or without God based on my faith in him. And the other is a judgment of, of loss or gain. It's, it's whether what I did on this life mattered and had lasting influence or, or if it was just wasted and it squandered away. And so the, the first judgment, the, the destiny one, the amazing thing about this is that Christ satisfies the very demands of the law that he gave us and that we broke. Look at it, Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a covering for our sin. Through the shedding of his blood, and here, here's this key phrase, to be received by faith. It's, it's not a judgment of how many good things you've done. It's a judgment of your belief. Have you had faith in Jesus Christ? And, and so Christ satisfies the very demands of the law that he gave us. On our behalf, he died. Uh, Nick, our worship director, and I were talking this week, and he was talking about an old hymn and some of the beautiful language, and, and the song is Before the Throne of God Above, and I think it, it so perfectly summarizes this concept. It says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That God's judgment is satisfied as the Father looks on the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the destiny judgment. And I don't know where you're at or what's your idea of who God is or, or how you've been relating to him or if you've had a bad church experience. I just pray you don't have a bad God experience where you get him wrong based on how other people who have, have presented him. The scriptures are really clear. He loved you so much that he gave his life on the cross for you. Through faith in him, you can be forgiven of your sins and spend eternity with him. That's a judgment everybody in this earth will face one day. It's a judgment of faith. And I pray you find yourself within the loving pardon of God the Father. The second reward is, is that lost gain, that judgment reward. Romans 14 talks about that. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you, why do you spend time worrying about what they're doing? I do this with my kids all the time. I'm like, hey, are you there, Dad? Like you're trying to figure out all the things that they did that were wrong, but they actually have somebody who does that. It's, it's called me and I'm dad. And that's, that's my job, right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't, don't worry so much about somebody else and why they do what they do. That's, that's not your job. That's not your role. One of the things we talk about, one of our values is we're a source of, uh, we're a source of grace, not drama that we're not gonna be people who create drama as we look at all the other things that somebody else does. We wanna look at the grace of God and how we can love him. And that's, that's, what this, that's what this is about. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. This is about whether or not we, the opportunities we have will be viewed as loss or gain when we stand before him. And so how you love people right now really matters. How you love God and, and live that out really, really matters. So we hear judgment and we think negative, but, but there's an element to this judgment which is quite positive where God sees not just every evil thing, but every good thing. He notices all the good things that you do, even the things that you maybe didn't even know were good. 
In fact, uh, th- this summer we, we planted a garden out back, and I've told you before that I can't garden, but every year my kids want us to try, and so we try. We put an honest effort in, and it was not going anywhere until an older couple in our development decided they were going to adopt our garden. They were going to come over and water it. They were going to come over and weed it. And we're like, hey, Walter and Marla, you guys want to do that? You go right ahead. That's wonderful. And so they come by and they water it. And one day they're like, you know, this, this one here isn't a vegetable. And I'm like, oh, well, we only plant vegetables. And they're like, it's actually a sunflower. I was like, really? And, and so look at this picture. Um, this is our garden that Walter and Marla care for with one ginormous or two ginormous sunflowers. Because at some point, one of my kids was eating sunflower seeds in the backyard, and I guess spit one over in the garden or two in the garden, and there you go. I had no idea. And I, I was like, now, nah, look, Walter, you, you can't be, now, it's not, a, nobody planted a sunflower seed. He's like, well, you got a sunflower plant, so somebody planted a sunflower seed. I wonder how many of the little things that we just do, we don't understand the big results. I wonder how much the, the, how are you doing really, just really has a big impact on somebody. How much that prayer that you prayed really is gonna grow into something more than you realized. How much your generosity or the time you gave up to serve or, or, or just the opportunity to, to sit down with somebody and have a real good conversation. I wonder how many of those little good deeds are gonna blow up into something big. And one day I think God's gonna show it to us. And I think we're gonna say, man, I, I wish I would have lived more of my life in love because it has such a profound impact on the life, on the world around me, on, on my own relationship with God. It's just good. There's never been a time that love hasn't been good. So let's be a source of God's free love, of his grace, where, where every grace-filled thing you do will matter more than you realize. And the moment you stand before God and you're judged and you realize that all those little things turned out to be great big giant things, it all comes into perspective. And so I pray that we have a, gen- we have a wisdom that sees there's a future judgment that gives me a current awareness that what I do right now has huge impact. Third, third one is this, and this is really what makes preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes difficult, is that wisdom hurts. We don't always like to be told a better way to do something. And so there's an element to this where somebody gives you wisdom, and if it counteracts or it contradicts how you're living right now, it kind of hurts. But when wisdom hurts, it helps. The teacher says the words of the wise are like goats. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. You know what a goat is? It's a rod of iron with a spike at the end. It's to move cattle from one place to the next because they might not want to go where you want them to go. And so the teacher is saying, hey, students, guess what? You can kind of be like a stubborn cow. (laughs) You can kind of be like that bull that won't go where it should go. And I'm not speaking about you. I'm speaking about myself. And I'm guessing you're along for the ride because we can be stubborn about how we want life to be and how we want life to go. And wisdom comes along and says, that's not how you should use your time. That's not the best way to use your finances. That's not the best way to use these opportunities. And so there's a degree to which it it, it prods us and it pushes us to live within a way that's different than how we live right now. Wisdom, in a sense, it, it hurts in order to help. He says when you get it, it's like, it's like firmly embedded nails. 
It lasts. It, it stays with you. It's a part of who you are. Have you ever had somebody say something that was so truthful and so insightful and so revealing that it kind of hurt you? It was that statement that you needed to hear, but you didn't really want to hear it. That's, that's what he's saying. That the book of Ecclesiastes should have that role in your life. That it should push you into something that you probably aren't doing, but you should be doing. This summer, one of the, one of the we did a bunch of mini vacations with the, the kids. I think everybody did that after COVID. Um, but one of the trips we went on was a Yogi Bear campground. We went to Yogi Bear Campground, and, and uh, it's not really my normal vacation. I like to go away from crowds of people. I like to go away from water, unless I can fish there. But I, a Yogi Bear Campground where you've got all this stuff that's, that's not really up my alley, but I thought, you know what? The kids are going to love it. Okay, we'll do it. And, and the kicker was I looked on their website, and they had a lazy river. I didn't know much about what a lazy river was, but I thought that sounds like what I'd like right now in life. I told Corinne, I said, I don't know what this lazy river thing is, but I can see myself spending many hours on the lazy river. I think this is going to be a good vacation because I got a lazy river. And, uh, and so we're getting ready to go. And then, then like two weeks out, they pull a switch on us and they say, sorry, the lazy river is canceled. We didn't get it done in time. There's no lazy river. And I was way more upset about that than I should have been. My lazy river dreams just floated away. Unlike me. And I, I looked at it, I thought, you know what? I just, I just wanted a lazy river. That's all I wanted. Is that too much to ask? Is one lazy river that just flows along? And I go, and we go, we go there, and, and we're at this park, and, and there's this, like a splash area for the kids right next to the, to the under-construction lazy river. And I'm, I'm looking back and forth, thinking, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And, and this internal struggle. And, and one of the dads comes over to me. One of the, we went with another family. One of, the, one of the dads comes over, and he says to me, you know what? Isn't this place just so perfect? Because they have everything the kids want. And I was like, get away from me. <laughs> I want to stew over the lazy river, okay? And I looked around, and I turned around, and I saw my kids having an incredible time. And so I made the rest of the trip about every smile on their face, made it about what they wanted to do. When I didn't want to jump in the water because it was cold, I looked at their face when I jumped in. And so those words, isn't this just all about the kids? That was a cattle prod. That was get your stubborn heart off of yourself and onto other people. That's what it was, and I needed it. My family needed me to hear it. I, I needed to move out of that mentality. I think we get stuck in lazy river mentality in life, where I just want this, and this is what I want, and the wisdom comes along and says, but it's not what we need. It's not what's best. You don't need to just coast through life in a slightly selfish way. This is ultimately about love. And it's about an opportunity to love others well. And so wisdom hurts, but it helps. Now, the reality is we're all going through a process. You know, I joke sometimes that it, we're not a perfect church. We're not. We're not. I'm, I'm far from a perfect pastor. If you came looking for a perfect church, I don't even know where to send you. Like we, I, I've never seen one. But the reality is we're, we're not a perfect church because none of us is, is perfect people. We're going through a process. The Bible calls it sanctification, where, where once you have that destiny judgment figured out, 
when you place faith in him, the renovation project starts. And God begins to renew us and make us less self-focused and less self-centered so that we live for God and live for others. So that we love God and, and love people. And we need that wisdom. We need wisdom to push us back to that. We need wisdom from, I, I don't know if you're in a community group, but we would love for you to be in a community group because you can have relationships where somebody says, hey, that's, that's actually kind of selfish. That's not what we're about. When you have people who can speak genuinely and lovingly into your life, that they can remind us of the things that are most important, like the fourth thing that we need to keep in mind for everyday wisdom, which is most important. When you want more, you gotta know where to look for it. When you want more in life, you have to know where to look for it. We regularly find ourselves wanting more. And a lot of times we'll chase after something else that we can buy, somewhere else that we can go, something we can accomplish, something we can do, as if that is the more that our soul longs for. Look, I don't mind that you do more. I don't think that's a bad thing. But if you do more, expecting it to be the thing which makes this life worth living, you're expecting more when it can't deliver it. You're expecting more and you'll get less. The teacher declares that if you want to find more in this life, you need to look outside of this world. Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set human, eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what, from what God does from beginning to end. Not owner, right? He is. He's in charge. He's got this big perspective and the part of us that wants more out of life is part of us that's really that way because that's how God created us. He created us to be chiefly satisfied by him. And so if you want to know why you have a sense of significance that nothing in this world can really satisfy, it's because God said eternity in your heart. If you want to know why so many people who are far from God and even anti-God will, will at a funeral say, this isn't goodbye, it's see you later. It's because deep down God said eternity in their hearts. If you want to know why so many cultures against, uh, across so many eras have all thought there's something that happens after this world, it's because God set eternity in our hearts. If you want to know why we want this life to have meaning and everything we do to have purpose, it's because God set eternity in the heart. That your heart wants more because God put that inborn curiosity for more within you. He put that desire, he put that longing, he put that yearning within you, knowing that he alone could satisfy it. And what we do is we run around from one thing to the next, thinking if I have a new career, if I have a new job, if I have a new home, if I have more of this, if I do that, then that will be the thing. No, the thing which will chief you, chiefly satisfy you will always be Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And so if you want more, you have to know where to look for it. You've got to know where, where it's at. You know what I think this is life? Like, do you ever forget where you put your wallet or your keys? Or, and you start looking around the house and you look on where you usually put it. It's not there. You look in the coat you wore yesterday. It's not there. You, you look in the car. You clean your car for the first time in like three years to find your wallet. It's not there. You think maybe your kids stole it and they're playing some prank on you. And, but you look all over for your wallet. And you can't find it. And then all of a sudden you reach in your pocket and there it is. Did you ever do that? Or am I the only one? <laughs> it seems to happen more than it should. And I look down and I think, it was there the whole time. Look, that's, that's what Solomon's teaching us. 
You can look for more and you can chase everywhere you want to chase in this world. You can chase after power. You can chase after wealth. You can chase after pleasure. And you, you're going to get done. If you get to the end of it, if you have enough resources and enough time on this planet, you'll get to the end of it and you realize, I had it with me the whole time. There's a story of the prodigal son where the younger brother runs away and he squanders all his wealth in this wild living and, and he comes back home and the father welcomes him. And, and then the older brother is jealous about the whole thing. How could you, how could you treat him like that? And the father looks at him and says, my son, I was always with you. I gave you the greatest thing I could ever give you, which is my, my presence. And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going, look, you want more. It's with your creator. It's in a relationship with him. In the case, the, the chase keeps telling me there's more out there. But the scriptures tell me that Jesus is the most I'll ever find. And so we set our hearts there because nothing on earth will live up to our expectations, but Jesus will always surpass them. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that we are incredibly wise, but wisdom is not just knowing a bunch of stuff. It's navigating life based on what we know. And Lord, we just live in this world where everybody wants everything and there's never enough and, and there is enough, but it's, it's with you. And so God, I pray that our hearts would delight in that, that we would understand really what our lot is in life, to enjoy the things that you've blessed us with, to make a great deal out of loving others and loving you. And at the end of the day, to know that my heart wants more from this world than it can give me because it can only be satisfied by you. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name, amen.